Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. And you're listening to the Grok Science Show. That's right, it's a weekly look at the world of science, technology, and their effects on our daily lives. Coming up on today's program, Martin Neil Bailey will join us to discuss the retirement challenge. So stay tuned for all of this. Plus the Grokatron 5000. And our world famous question a week. Coming right up. Here. On the Grok's Science Show. Science Show. Well, retirement. Is it achievable in today's day and age? Joining us today to discuss this issue is Dr. Martin Neil Bailey. Dr. Bailey is a senior fellow emeritus at the Brookings Institution and was previously the Bernard L. Schwartz Chair in Economic Policy Development. He served in President Clinton's cabinet as chairman of the Council of Economic Advisors and was a member on the council from 1994 to 1996. He's been a partner in McKinsey & Company and a senior fellow at the Peterson Institute and taught at MIT, Yale, and the University of Maryland. He's written extensively on productivity, financial regulation, and retirement policy. He has penned the new book, the Retirement Challenge, What's Wrong with America's System and a Sensible Way to Fix It. Dr. Bailey, thank you so much for joining us today on the Grok Science Show. Great to be with you. Well, it is certainly our pleasure. Certainly a book, I think, that is on how can we uh, plan for our retirement? Can we do it in America's system? I'm curious why you decided to put the book together. I think this is such an important issue for so many people. And because the current system, even though it has some strengths, is not working all that well. Most people, I think, go back 20, 30 years. The idea was that we had Social Security, which was somewhat of a support. We had Medicare, and people had pensions, company pensions. But what's happened is that most companies have decided to get rid of their pensions for various different reasons. So that part of the retirement package has gradually disappeared. There are still people now with pensions, and some government workers have pensions, union workers. But most private sector workers are really uh, younger workers, not receiving pensions, and many older workers don't have pensions. So the retirement system has really changed, but we haven't found ways to, as yet, really adapt the system to help people manage their retirement. So we're putting a lot of onus on individual families and individuals. They have to save. They have to decide how to invest. They have to decide how much they're going to draw out, how are they going to manage their health, and uh, whether they'll need a long-term care system or something like that. And we're not really giving them a lot of help with those decisions at the moment. This really puts the onus on the worker, the retiree, and figure out all of these. Whereas before, it was you work your number of years and get your, your benefit based on how many years you've worked. How have we gone to the system now where everything is sort of left up to the worker to decide? Well, that's right. And there are certainly many people who are doing very well under the current system. And those are typically the more affluent people or the people who are very good at saving and setting money aside, very good at planning and all that kind of thing. So there are certainly some people who are taking advantage of that. And there are some advantages to the current system. So under the old pension system, it was quite difficult to change jobs sometimes, particularly as you got older, because You had a lot of capital invested basically in a pension scheme. And so if you wanted to change jobs, you might be in danger of losing that. 
We now have a labor market where people change jobs quite a bit. Even older workers often change jobs. So there are some advantages and there are people who are doing okay with it. But there are people, a great many people, who don't actually have a 401k type plan. That's 401k plans are under provision of the tax code that allows you to save for retirement without paying taxes until the money is withdrawn. So these 401k plans, a lot of of the larger companies have them. Uh, Many people have them, but only about half of workers actually have such a plan. And even those that do have plans don't really necessarily save quite enough. And they're not getting a lot of help from their employers about how much to save and so on. And oftentimes it's hard to save. You know, you've got kids going off to college, you've got the house needs repairs, people get divorced. So there are a lot of claims everybody has on their money. And sometimes the idea of, okay, what am I going to do when I'm 65 or 75 or 85 sort of gets a little bit left behind and people don't necessarily save enough. That's one of the big problems make sometimes judge of the savings goes and how they have to invest it in the best possible way. Well, absolutely. Another big problem. And any of you have been saving for retirement and have put your money in the stock market, as many people have, over the long run, the stock market has done very well. And that's been a good decision to make, really, is to put money into the stock market. But certainly in the last year, or just over a year, the stock market has not done very well. And obviously, it did very badly around 2008, 2009, it did badly in 2001. So the stock market has a lot of volatility. It's up and down a lot. So people have to decide, oh, am I going to put my money in the stock market? So the alternative, of course, or the big alternative, is to buy bonds. And until recently, bonds earned very, very little. So if you put your money in bonds, you were really barely making anything that was above inflation. You know, inflation was running at 2% a year. Now, the last year or so, interest rates have gone up. So buying bonds has been a better deal, although those who did buy bonds may have suffered some losses. So those cannot go up and down too. Even in recent times, the amount you get on your savings, if you invest in bonds, is barely covering inflation. So investing in the right way is definitely a challenge. We don't view this book as an advice to individuals. This is mostly about the system and how to improve the system. But as a general statement, having a mix of stocks and bonds is probably the right way to go and will serve you well over the long run. But you have to have a strong stomach to be able to stand the ups and downs of the stock market. Certainly have challenges in the retirement system. What are our avenues then for addressing those challenges and improving the system that we have? Well, one of the developments in economics that has proven quite fruitful in so-called behavioral economics is the so-called nudge system. By nudging, we don't want to tell people what to do. So we don't want to say, oh, you've got to save this much, or you're required to save this much. That's not really the American way of doing things and doesn't work very well anyway, at least in our experience. So what nudging does is says the default that you get is that you will save a certain amount and put it aside into a, a retirement saving plan. So when you join a company, let's say, they have automatic enrollment. So you are automatically enrolled. Some percentage of your salary goes into a retirement saving plan. And that way, you'll definitely get that money unless you decide for some reason you don't want to do it. But the experience has been that if you give employers that situation, if you automatically enroll them, 
uh, generally speaking, they will continue to save for retirement. So that's proven to be a very helpful thing. Another of the issues that I should mention, by the way, is that even after people have saved, saved for retirement, so maybe they save and, and they put their money in a mix of stock and bonds and they get to be 65 or 70 or however old it is when they decide to retire, they have to think about the uncertainties that they're going to face at that time. And in particular, they don't know how long they're going to live. A lot of people underestimate how many years they have uh, left to live. You know, it's sort of strange. People are optimistic in many ways, but for some reason, people kind of think, oh, I'm not going to live longer than age 75. But actually, if you get to age 65, there's a very good chance you'll live, uh, you'll be older than 75 before you die. So people have a tendency to underestimate that. So we want to give people some kind of guidance on how to manage when they, they decide, make a decision based on how long they're going to live. One of the things that economists tend to like, and we have uh, supported, is that people put at least part of their saving into uh, an annuity. An annuity is something which pays you a guaranteed amount each quarter or each month or however it's uh, uh, set up. And that's guaranteed for the rest of your life. So there's a lot of advantage to annuities. We think governments and employers could do more to make those annuities attractive. Because at the moment, if you just yourself go out and buy an annuity, often you don't get a very good deal on it. But if your employer is negotiating to get a deal for you, or if uh, the government were able to uh, somehow uh, put a bit of a spark under the annuities uh, market, we think that would be a much better option. And I'll mention another question that people often have to face too is, uh, and I think I may have mentioned at the beginning, is that a lot of people are very concerned about uh, whether they will need to go into uh, long-term care of some kind, either have someone come and look after them or go into a nursing home. Nursing homes, of course, were the standard way of doing it, but COVID, they turned out to be a bit tricky. But in the long run, hopefully, nursing homes will still be a viable option. Now, the difficulty with that is that it is so expensive, incredibly expensive, you don't know whether you're going to need it or not. So actually, quite a few retirees, and these are people who've saved, maybe they've even saved half a million or a million dollars, which would be not, there'll be more than the usual amount. But instead of spending that money to help themselves do well in retirement, they're actually hoarding it or holding on to it because they're so afraid that they might need to go, need some kind of end of life care that's going to be very expensive, or that's a married couple, one or other of them will. So again, that's a market that's not doing very well, and we think that the government uh, could help us jumpstart that market a little bit at the moment. It's, it, there's a fear that that market will disappear. Of course, the government does provide Medicaid nursing homes, but the conditions for those are pretty stringent. So we think that something to be done to improve that market for long-term care, and that would make a big difference to people's lives. So in general, there are a lot of uncertainties that people face. So even if they're saving enough, they have to face up to these various uncertainties. The insurance markets are, we do have very well developed insurance markets, but they're not doing all that well on some of the key things that retirees need. So we think we need some incentives, perhaps not necessarily forcing companies or forcing individuals, but providing incentives for those markets to work better. And that's part of what we propose in the book.
contributing to the system where there is some certainty, at least for those challenges that might lie ahead, allowing people to use their savings more effectively into the later years. That's right. And at this point in time, we try to be realistic. I mean, one of the things that we emphasize in this book is that some people who say, oh, the retirement system's just fine, no need to worry about it. And there are some people who say the retirement system is completely broken. We've got to completely revamp it and all of that. And we try to take a middle road there, recognizing that in the current political environment, environment, it's certainly not going to be easy to get the government to put up more money. So what are we looking for there? We think that working with employers, because I think employers can play a big role here in helping their own employees and actually could be an attraction to go work for somebody if that company does a good job of making sure that its retirees are going to be okay, not necessarily by giving them money, but by helping them figure out how to manage the system. In the case of long-term care, at the moment, the government spends a great deal of money on these Medicaid nursing homes. A great, a big chunk of Medicaid actually goes to people in nursing homes. And so we think actually there's a potential incentive for the government to improve that market for long-term care, even if it meant giving some kind of tax break to insurance companies that made it easier for them to offer these policies, suggesting standardized policies, because that's part of the problem is that there's really no, every different policy is different and nobody knows which one to buy and all of that. So if we could get a few incentives, get the employers on board, have some standard policies, we think you could actually revive that market for long-term care. And it might take some of the load off the governments having to pay for Medicaid nursing homes. If you look globally, where do you think the U.S. stands? Where do you think the U.S. can learn from other economies? How do you think we fare internationally? Well, the European countries, by and large, with the exception of the U.K., the European countries have made a retirement system and pension system largely government-operated. I'm exaggerating a little bit because oftentimes the retirement works through unions or works through some kind of group. Uh, if it's doctors or something like that, a professional group will have a plan. But the government basically steps in to make sure that the retirement system operates. And in many of those countries, government pays for, I mean, obviously they collect taxes along the way. And many of those countries pay much higher taxes than we do, but they actually pay for the pensions or make sure the pensions are paid for. And you may have heard of the fact that in France, they're having a huge fight about whether workers are going to be allowed to retire at 62 and collect their pensions or retire at 64, as the president of France has proposed, as a way of saving money. So those European countries are having a great deal of trouble paying for those pensions because even though they collect a lot of taxes, people are living longer and people like to retire early, and sometimes there are even provisions for early retirement, and so pensions are proving to be a huge weight on the budgets of a lot of uh, countries. Now, of course, we have Social Security, which is a pretty big weight, but it's in better shape, actually, than in a lot of European countries, although it's easier. People are more willing to accept taxes in Europe than they are here in the United States. Now, other countries have different things that the U.K., tends to have something that's not the same as ours, but perhaps a little bit closer to ours. Australia has an interesting system where you are required to pay into what's called a superannuation scheme in, in Australia, but it has some very odd provisions that actually can provide some strange incentives. People can 
collect all their money when they, the day they retire. So rather than having to pay out over time, they'll take it all as a lump sum. And then when they run out of money, they go to the government and say, oh, well, I'm old and destitute. You'll have to support me. And then the government supports them. So there are other countries that uh, are having a lot of trouble with uh, retirement schemes, too. We're certainly not alone in that. I think we have more trouble on the healthcare side because healthcare is so expensive in the U.S., about twice what other countries typically pay for healthcare. So uh, Medicare is very, very expensive with us. But the pension, you know, Social Security, actually, even though it's not completely solvent by any means, and we propose that it be made solvent, but it's probably easier to fix Social Security than many of those pension plans. What's often not recognized is that because the birth rate has fallen so much, not only in the United States, but in uh, all really all the advanced economies, in fact, even more in some of the other countries than in the U.S., but because the birth rate has fallen, and unfortunately in some measures seems still to be falling, that has created a shift in the demographics of our economy, meaning that we now have more and more older people and fewer and fewer workers paying in. And so that's the reason that Social Security got into trouble. You remember that we had the Greenspan Commission back in the 1980s, 1984, if I remember correctly, that the plan was to put Social Security on an even keel for 75 years. We haven't quite made the 75 years, although it did help a great deal. I think there's now a lot of people uh, on the Republican side would like to see some more cutbacks on spending. But on the other hand, they are reluctant to cut back on Social Security. And of course, the Democrats don't want to cut back on it at all. But nobody wants to raise uh, taxes and support the system. So, yeah, I don't know if it's exactly lies or not being willing to face up to the reality of what we have, which is a much older society. And the number of people over 75, for example, is going to double going forward. And the number of workers is, is not going to do that. It's going to grow very slowly. So uh, we've got to sort of face up to the reality of the situation we have. It's always sort of changes in technology automation. These things may make economies work out in the end such that we can, we can support the system with improved productivity from fewer workers that are younger. Well, as you mentioned in the introduction, much of my professional career has been spent studying productivity and productivity growth, which is the key driver, along with you know, the demographics we just mentioned, is, is a key driver of what determines the growth in living standards. If we can all be more productive over time, then that helps living standards to rise. It means tax revenues tend to rise even if tax rates don't rise. And that helps programs and helps older people to live better and so on and younger people to see improving living standards. And unfortunately, productivity growth has been pretty darn slow, not just in the United States, but other places as well, mostly since the early 1970s. There was a short burst of about 10 years in the 1990s, early 2000s, when we had a, a resurgence of productivity growth. But basically, since the early 1970s, productivity growth has been very slow. And that's caused a lot of the problems that people fight about and a lot of the political fights that we have. If productivity growth had uh, remained strong or had continued to be strong, we wouldn't be having to have some of those fights. Now, will technology help us out? Well, I've always been somewhat of an optimist. And, you know, I've been saying for a long time, well, eventually I think we're going to get the resurgence of productivity and things are going to get better and 
And I hope that's right. And, you know, we've got some new technologies, the so-called uh, chat GPT that uh, promises that it's going to make us more productive. Uh, some people are worried it'll make us lose jobs. But I think I'm hoping that it'll make us all more productive. And if that's the case, then that'll go a long way towards solving some of these problems. But we've had slow growth for long enough now that I don't think we should really count on that. I think we have to think about a realistic view, not overly pessimistic, but a realistic view of moderate growth, recognizing that we are an aging society and that, uh, yes, technology will help a lot, but it won't necessarily solve the whole problem. In some ways, very high-level issues, we're thinking about our economies, but what advice for individuals at various stages of their life have or would you like them to take home from the book? Well, I think the, the thing that's uh, probably most helpful is to think about a uh, savings plan that becomes automatic. And I mentioned that auto-enrollment. So if your employer has a savings plan, sign up for it. Or if you're automatically signed up, uh, stay with it. it. Individuals, if they save consistently over time, I think that will really make a difference. There is, notwithstanding all the problems, there is a miracle of compound interest. And if you can just manage to to say, putting some of it perhaps in the stock market, some of it in, in bonds, and maybe uh, uh, taking a bit more risk when you're younger and then uh, switching over a little bit as you get older. That's a good strategy, and that will stand you in very good stead. I'd also say as a word to employers, so and, and workers can, can uh, employees can talk to their employers and say, hey, you know, you, you don't do give us pensions anymore, but I think there's some things you could do to help us. You could make sure that time and plan is in good shape. You could make sure that maybe you're going to contribute as well as us. And uh, I'm fortunate in, in that the Brookings Institution very generously contributes to our retirement plan. And so employers can do a lot there. They can also help their employees and even their retirees get decent advice. And that's been a difficulty too. We want to make sure. So that's another lesson I would give to uh, younger people or middle-aged people or even older people, which is get good professional advice. Make sure you know how your advisor is getting paid so that uh, he or she is not going to take advantage of you. Learn from them what you need to do to get on track, and then I think you will be set up. And, and really, you can then enjoy your retirement. That's what retirement's for, is to, to have fun. And we were talking with Dr. Martin Neal Bailey, his new book, The Retirement Challenge, What's Wrong with America's System and a Sensible Way to Fix It. Dr. Bailey, thank you so much for joining us today on the Grok Science Show. Thank you. And that's all for this week's edition of the Grok Science Show. Make sure you tune in next week for more from the world of science and technology. If you'd like to contact us here, you can email us at science at groks.net. For Grok Science, I'm Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. Make sure you also see us on the web at www.grox.net. Have a great afternoon and keep on grokking.